Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. This episode comes from our event with director Lila Neugebauer, who discussed the making of her latest film, Causeway, with fellow director Philippa Lothorpe. Lila told us all about working with Jennifer Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry, her editorial process, and the influence of theatre on her directing. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to Lila, and um, congratulations, Lila, on your absolutely wonderful film. Um, it's it's such a delight. It's so moving and delicate and nuanced, and uh, can't wait to talk to you about it. I, I absolutely loved it. I found it incredibly moving. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you so, so much. My first question um, was, how did you... Um, envisage your vision for the film how did you decide on the style and the tone of it and maybe what were your inspirations when you were thinking about how to take it from script to screen sure um I would start by saying that um probably not shockingly you know I didn't I didn't write this script um there was there was a good deal of time spent developing this script and um uh, collectively deepening our understanding of what the project of the film was really going to be. Um, that transpired in kind of a number of different iterative processes because this project ultimately took kind of surprisingly long uh, journey. <laughs> but um, uh, I would start by saying that many of my initial cues were rooted in um, what struck me in the script. Um, and when you talk about style and visual approach, um, you know, from the outset in encountering the original screenplay for this film, though, as I said, it would it would go on to take a journey. Um, I was already struck by what, um, by by the fact that it was characterized by a kind of gentle lyricism, I would say, by a patience, um, and attention to detail and investment in the kind of quieter private moments in uh, this character's inner life, um, uh, a kind of uh, lack of investment in more conventional melodrama, let's say, um, and a trust in the gentle accumulation of those private quieter moments to amount to hopefully something larger. Um, and I think, you know, my earliest conversations with our incredible production designer, Jack Fisk, and my um, remarkable DP, Diego Garcia, were likewise characterized, I think, by um, first a desire to handle these characters, all of them, with a, with sensitivity. I think our, um, our desire to take care of these characters was very much um, at the, the forefront of all of our initial conversations. Um, you know, Diego and I, um, fortunately, <laughs> share a number of the same uh, cinematic reference points and heroes. Um, we are both great admirers of, of the filmmaking of Corey Ada and Lucrecia Martel. Um, and um, uh, though I think the sensibilities of those filmmakers, it would, um, it's, it's, uh, their similarities are strikingly distinct. Although um, what I would say is that um, there is a, a kind of striking economy uh, that both of those filmmakers deploy. And um, I think likewise, in really different respects, 
um, my encounters with, with both of those filmmakers gave me a new understanding of what could constitute subjectivity in cinematic language, um, particularly in the work of Corey Ada, all of whose films Diego and I watched together. Mm -hmm. There is also, I think, a kind of remarkable intentionality in what presents as, as a really um, gentle, delicate, understated approach. Um, the meticulousness of his compositions, um, they're such loving compositions. There's so much control in that filmmaking, but with such a light touch. I think for both of us, um, that uh, warmth <laughs> um, was really striking, the intentionality, but the simplicity of that photography. When I talk about Lucrecia Martel, I think for both me and Diego, um, you know, she is a filmmaker, likewise, whose frames are so wildly intentional. And I find um, whenever I revisit her, her movies, the ones that Diego and I watched together was um, La Mujer Sin Cabeza, The Headless Woman, um, which is a film that begins with a kind of head injury in some ways, mm -hmm. um, but, but um, an injury to the soul really is also where that film begins. Um, uh, I have always found that there always feels like there's a kind of extra degree of psychological and emotional information in what present as deceptively simple frames in her filmmaking. And I think both Jack and Diego are real masters of how, um, again, in a kind of stripped down language, um, one can find an enormous amount of emotional information about a character, a point of view um, in, a, in a single composition. I think that's so true and, and how beautifully you've described it. I found that the framing enabled me to lean into the characters. Oh, I'm so it was so it was so unfussy. It was so spare. And, and I loved the restraint of it while, as you say, um, allowing the emotion of the characters to touch us and to and to to reach out to us. So yeah, that's that's that comes across so well. It's very brave to be so still. And I think it complemented the stillness of the performances as well, because both Jennifer Lawrence and um, Brian ha had this wonderful stillness, which I absolutely enjoyed every minute of it. So can you tell us about how you worked with both of those wonderful actors and came together in your collaboration? collaboration to achieve these fabulous performances from both of them. Oh, sure. Um, and thanks again for such lovely thoughts, Philippa. Um, <laughs> um, and I'm realizing before talking about Jen and Brian, I would just add off of your really lovely comment that I also think, um, I think Diego and I were really mindful that we just simply didn't want style to ever overburden um, the life of the characters. <laughs> and I think we both hoped that in watching the film, a viewer would not be thinking about either of us, <laughs> that they that that you'd really find yourself immersed in the inner lives of the characters, mm -hmm. um, that, that that would always be foregrounded, um, that, that we would be quiet, um, but intentional. Um, in terms of my wonderful actors, um, you know, the... Um, these were incredibly hands-on collaborations, I would say. Uh, for both Jen and Brian, 
this story was personalized quickly and deeply. Um, they were, I, I involved both of them in the development of the script. And um, likewise, in a kind of um, unfortunate, but ultimately quite fortuitous two-year pause <laughs> um, that divided the photography on this film, um, uh, we continued to um, talk, to um, collaborate. Um, and um, there were some discoveries that I made in the kind of first editorial leg of this process that um, led to some shifts um, and opened the door to some other conversations that further deepened my own engagement with the life of these characters through my conversations with Jen and Brian. So that's all to say um, they were very connected to their characters. And I think the stakes of this project were very personal for both of them. Um, you know, Jen is, Jen I met at the inception, the outset of this project. Um, about six weeks after I read the original script, I heard that she had read it and had a similar reaction. Um, and I was asked, would I like to have dinner with her? I uh, very quickly said yes. Um, we had dinner and um, uh, I think both identified the potential for a tremendously fruitful creative partnership. She signed on that night in the room. And um, not long after that, we started meeting um, in the mornings for breakfast at her apartment in New York and just reading through the script uh, slowly, one page at a time. Um, we were not really talking about performance. We were not talking about results. We were developing a shared collaborative language, free associating, um, talking about what the material was bringing up for each of us, where Lindsay lived in each of us, and where we saw ourselves in the story. Um, and and I, I think that was hugely formative time for us as collaborators, and likewise instrumental in some early development of the script that proceeded. Um, Brian is a very old friend. Um, uh, I've known him since I was 19. I was an undergrad at the same school that he was in drama school, and I first met him then. And um, but this is our first collaboration. We had hoped to work together since that time. Um, so there was a real, there was a foundation of trust and intimacy there. Um, I definitely think that 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 connection blossomed in this project. Um, we did a lot of talking, all of us, <laughs> on set and off. Um, they are also two actors who very fortuitously had a. a an instantaneous rapport. Their on-screen chemistry is matched and dare I say exceeded by their true life chemistry as friends. Um, that was serendipitous and not that surprising to me based on knowing them independently before putting them in an environment together. Mm. Well, they certainly are so engaging and, and it was a great pleasure to see Jennifer Lawrence go back into her more indie film roots I, I felt you know that this was a very a study in in a sort of masterclass in her in acting in a way because everything because of the spare style you've chosen the camera is unrelentingly on her mm -hmm. and every tiny shift or emotion that she displays is there for us all to see and engage with so it was it was brave it was a brave thing for her to do as well I feel can you, you said you've made a few discoveries in the time when you had that time between the two halves of the filming yeah. or the two parts of the filming, because that was, a, a, we've all, I'm sure a lot of directors listening will really sympathise with that event that we, you know, it, it you know, created chaos for, for a lot of us. 
us directors, but you said you use the opportunity to find something and, and to make some discoveries. Can you give us an example of what one of those discoveries was when you were in that process? Sure. Um, and, you know, I would contextualize, um, I think anyone listening would probably infer that this was pandemic related. It was. Um, although um, really prior to that, we um, we shot this film where it's set in New Orleans, Louisiana, which is um, an incredible American city and also a very um, vulnerable uh, city to climate, um, a really resilient population in that city. Um, and um, we were initially essentially shut down by a hurricane in the summer of 2019, we had to evacuate. Um, we shot through flash floods and heat waves and lightning, lightning holds, um, but we had to evacuate from a hurricane. Jen had a heart out and um, we were unable to finish. Um, and so planned to come back in March of 2020. Ha ha ha. Um, and I, I did, the day before I was meant to get on the plane, um, you know, we heard that the global pandemic was shutting down all production in the U.S. So um, and, and we would then essentially have to wait another 18 months. So two years from the initial bout of photography to actually go back and complete it in the summer of 2021. Um, you know, in that fall of 2019, we had a shot enough that summer that I began an editorial process. Um, and one of the, uh, I would say, most significant revelations, difficult, painful and important, um, uh, was that uh, we had shot flashbacks set in Afghanistan and also some in a hospital in Landstuhl, which is a military hospital in Germany. Um, there was a whole past tense in this film. It was some of my favorite photography then that we shot. Um, it was visually incredibly striking. Um, you know, you talked about the static camera that begins this film. Um, we shot that on 16 and there was a much more deliberately emotional relationship between the camera and subject. It was much more fluid, more explicitly subjective. Um, they were her memories and it was designed in counterpoint to the present tense photography. Um, and the performances were incredible. Um, I came to the painful realization that the strongest version of this film was set exclusively in the present tense. Um, uh, and what that, after a great deal of exploration um, and sort of uh, different investigative approaches to how to deploy that photography that departed from how it had been orchestrated in the script, but I, it was so beautiful that I, I really fought to keep it in. Um, what that meant in terms of, I think, um, really solidifying the true focus of the film um, was that it also made space for what I had realized was the true heartbeat of the film, which were which was the relationship between Jen and Brian's characters. Mm -hmm. um, that had always been, I would say, the most important relationship in the film, but its journey was not as central to the, to the film's narrative trajectory. Um, and so in that intervening time, through um, ongoing conversation and further collaboration with our writers, um, though we were still going to go back and shoot more of Brian's photography, um, that material grew. How fascinating. And, and of course, we've all been there when you have to make one of those <laughs> horrendous decisions in the cutting yeah. room. And it's so painful at the time. And then you look back and think, why the hell didn't I sort of think of that myself or whatever the thing is. But I imagine that the purity that you gained by doing that really liberated the film in some way. 
as you say, and let that relationship come forward. Whereas the exciting material that you shot didn't. I suppose that's so fascinating. I am. Um, I I am um, so appreciate what you've said, and I do think you know there. Um, in you, I, you have immediately inferred that that photography, um, by way of its the way we approached it stylistically. And, you know, they were more um, evanescent. It was, it was fleeting, but it injected a great, a more explicit dynamism in the mm. film, I would say. <laughs> and it's now a very, very patient movie. Mm. Very patient. Um, but you are right that in addition to um, solidifying and clarifying the film's fundamental concerns, that it also was my feeling that eliminating that photography made for a more disciplined film. And you use the word purity that resonates with me, that um, this felt to me like the purer, more rigorous expression of the film's true concerns. It's also a more restrained version of the film and um, uh, a more, I would say, understated version mm -hmm. of the film than that other version might have been. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, um, <laughs> the other thing that strikes me when you're talking about it is that it, it's also given it a more unusual flavour because I've seen flashbacks many times used and this, this version is much feels much stronger than the one you describe in a way and as you say more rigorous and more spare, more disciplined and your palette is really rigorous. I think that's so important and it makes it stronger. It's more, it feels more original to me to have had this very spare view and allow us to watch Jennifer Lawrence and not have anything get in the way of that and her journey. I'm so glad you think so. Um, <laughs> it's like you were there with me in the editing room. Um, I've been there. That's why. That's I'm why so I've been there. I do. You know. You know. Movies. Um, this a, a film teaches you what to watch for, right? Mm -hmm. As you're watching it, the the cinematic language as it unfolds. Um, yeah, it tells you what matters. <laughs> yeah. I, also, I also think and in the cutting room, the cutting room starts to tell you what the film needs to, in a weird way. Couldn't agree more profoundly. I mean, um, you know, this is my first film, but um, I've spent, um, I'm primarily a theater director and much of my life in the theater has been spent working with um, writers on new plays. And um, it was uh, very joyful to me um, to recognize that, the editing room is a dramaturgical space. It's a writing space um, in which the ability to um, elide, omit, restructure, um, <laughs> to control rhythm, <laughs> everything um, you exert. There is an authorial force in that room that comes from a very dramaturgical place. And so while, of course, my, my time working on new plays showed up in the development of the script, it was also very much with me, um, yeah, in that room. Mm, that's fascinating. And the way you describe your relationship as, as a director, obviously being a theatre director, you're very, very used to working with actors. And I think that the, 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 all the actors, I love the way you cast the other roles. So you please tell us about that, how you cast the other roles, because that's, that's very fascinating to hear. And giving the space to the two main characters 
and that that nuance of performance is just such a, a rare joy to, to watch. But tell us about the casting, the other sure. casting. Um, every member of the supporting cast in this film um, is someone I knew from the New York theater community. Um, they're actors who I had either um, done something with, uh, developed something with, um, or they people whose well, all of them are also people whose work I admired um, and had seen in a, in a great deal of plays. Um, and um, uh, you know, um, it felt um, very fortuitous <laughs> uh, to to um, reconnect with people with whom I shared that kind of let's say like cultural reference point on my first set. Um, and, you know, likewise, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think there's a, an equivalent to how this transpires on a set. And of course it's particular to any individual actor's process and approach. But, um, I think that the, the rehearsal room in, in theater is a place in which we construct, um, robust, um, architecture, for a performance. Um, there's a kind of substrata that gets built and accumulates over time so that by the time we go away on opening night, the actor, um, you know, owns the story. Um, they tell the story from beginning to end, right, in one uninterrupted take. Um, and to take command of the story in that way requires the construction of a very involved musculature. Um, I think there's a kind of equivalent to how all of these actors relied on what I consider likewise dramaturgical powers of inference and extrapolation to build out um, more involved psychological understandings of these characters because the script is quite spare. Um, and, you know, I'll confess per our conversation about editorial pruning, um, the editorial process on this film was, um, so much of it was about distillation. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, uh, and I think I felt free to do that because the film is populated with actors who fill the space between the lines and um, inhabit their subtext with such depth of inner life. Um, that I felt that less could say more. Yeah, well, it's 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 really the performances of everybody are wonderful across the board, and what I lo I loved was to see faces that aren't well known that 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 made it feel yet even even more authentic a story. Oh, I'm glad. You know, including the the wonderful performance by the deaf actor. Ooh. Whose name I can't remember. Who's Russell, the, Russell Harper? Russell, and he's there just for a moment, but yeah. it's so vivid. He 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 gives you, you get his history. You don't need to be explained what's happened to him. So, can you talk about that? How how you worked with him? Sure. Um, I'm I'm obsessed with Russell. Um, I had seen him in in a couple of plays in New York, um, and um, I think he. Um, is an actor of like of unbridled charisma and magnetism. Um, I think he's a movie star. <laughs> um, I'm just reading endlessly now, trying to find a script um, to be Russell Harvard's vehicle. Um, and to be clear, I'm reading scripts that are not written for deaf actors. I, I, I just, you know, I, I would like to find a script which Russell can star in. And if it requires some reimagining, so be it. I mean, this role was not written for a deaf actor. I wanted mm -hmm. to cast Russell. Um, uh, 
but he, he he brought such a beautiful pathos to that oh I like that moment it was just really stunning and also um the actress who played the mum her, her name Lindy. yeah yeah again oh. Yeah, Linda is an actor of um, kind of I think just kind of astonishing metal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it's um, I've seen Linda on stage a great deal. She's done a lot of work with Tony Kushner, and um, one of her most memorable performances for me um, is that she did Death of a Salesman with Phil Hoffman. That that production is in, it's emblazoned in my mind. Um, she is um, re- she has also developed. Um, new plays with some remarkable writers. I mean, I just mentioned Tony Kushner and she is um, such a rigorous thinker when it comes to the excavation of text Mm -hmm. and a profoundly insightful person who I think really um, in the case of that role in particular um, worked to create uh, a tremendously elaborate backstory that equipped her to flesh out, um, yeah, just such suggestive Mm -hmm. scenes. Yeah. with a tremendously robust complexity of inner life. Mm, absolutely. You know, she was absolutely wonderful. You've talked a lot about being a theatre director, and I would be so fascinated to know how the transition was for you. What were the main difficulties and the main challenges for you coming from a theatre space? I know you've done some television as well, but how was that reimagining of your role as a director for you? How did you approach it? what the challenges? I will confess, there was so much applicability, I felt, such constant applicability. And in some ways I felt like my life in the theater, it occasionally visited me in more unexpected places. Like I think the, the ways in which your 15 years of developing shared language with actors has applicability to your collaboration with an actor on set is probably readily um, uh, uh, inferable. Um, (laughs) But but as I mentioned, the idea that developing new plays becomes your reference point for how your brain is functioning in the editing room. I think that that I might not have anticipated that. Um, I I also think the structure of a day on set for for any of the theater directors out there, (laughs) being on set felt to me like being in tech for five weeks, um, but sort of on high speed um, because the kind of density of interdepartmental, you know, in the theater, the way you interact with the departments, it's more, um, it's it's paced out, right? You spend three to five weeks alone with your actors in a bare room um, constructing their infrastructure. And then you shift onto stage and you're on the set and you add the lights and the sound, et cetera you know, on set, (laughs) you're dealing with all elements at once. So that um, the kind of athleticism of that constant interdepartmental collaboration for me felt like a a really joyful um, kind of evolution of my life in the theater Um, on some very basic, forgive me, like very simplistic level. I think that the stamina and the endurance required in feature filmmaking was perhaps most of all what was new, simply in the sense that, um, you know, when you do a play, you open the play and my contract ends. (laughs) I like to come back to check on the show, but it belongs to the actors. Um, And, you know, in this process, they get to say goodbye. (laughs) 
and you have to carry it with you every day. And in my case, across a two-year impasse, and then for, for you know another year through completion, post, finishing, et cetera. Um, so the sheer stamina involved in that, um, the, the ongoing pursuit of resilience, but ultimately the gratification of that um, long-term romance, <laughs> that, that um, often monogamous relationship with your film, um, it was tremendously gratifying. Um, yeah. Fantastic. I think as a director, you have to hold it to your heart, don't you? Yes. Through thick and thin. And that's sometimes a very hard thing to do when you're being buffeted around and challenged left, right and centre. But you are the, you're the holder of the key, I think. I was going to ask you, we, we, we wanted to talk about your the beautiful design um, with your designer. We've talked about your DOP and, and how you talked about references and things, but with, with your designer, because it's very lovely, again, in a very quiet way, but it's very poetic, I think, the design in your film. And I, I really like it. I love all the spare mm. scenes at the beginning with the carer, for instance, and then the the grittier scenes in in the city you know how did you decide how to do that with your design um to begin to distill how much i learned from jack fisk who is a real living legend in his own right um to try to distill is a daunting prospect um uh i really feel like um my time with jack fisk was 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 my film school mm. um i am so indebted to him uh, and it was uh, such an invigorating, uh, endlessly uh, joyful collaboration. Um, you know, as I as I mentioned, the characters in this film were really at the forefront of every decision for Jack, and um, he um, he will always create for you a three sixty environment to 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 make to to allow you to be as free as possible while shooting. And he is um, just so rigorous and imaginative and loving in his desire to um, honor the characters with fully realized, detailed, rigorous environments that are themselves characters in their own rights. Um, Jack taught me a lot about these characters in our shared project of imagining and architecting their environments. Um, and I think he was also thinking um, uh, with, with real attentiveness to what those environments would mean for Lindsay's journey through them, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of imagining her kind of her caretaker in a, in a, with a home health aide um, at, at the beginning of the film. You know, Jack was really mindful that that environment not only feel correctly, clinically equipped to house a patient in her state. Um, but he was also thinking about um, how to make that environment feel safe for her. Um, and also how to create um, a journey for the character and the film um, so that we were in the kind of um, usefully calibrated counterpoint in where we would begin our film from the perspective of the emotional temperature of that environment vis-a-vis -vis color palette, architectural details, the life of objects, <laughs> the, um, the, the density of information in a frame, and how that might lay a foundation for what kinds of shifts when she arrives um, in New Orleans in a more dense, dynamic, 
and a hotter American city. I mean, it's also not incidental that the film begins in winter. Um, she's frozen. <laughs> There's a thaw when spring arrives. And then she has to go home uh, to a swamp. Um, New Orleans, I mean, Louisiana's got a lot of swamp all across it. Um, yeah, I think Jack was also really intentional about how to depict New Orleans, which is a tremendously iconic American city, but which is most popularly recognized here by way of its kind of tourist vistas um, and events and happenings and landmarks, Bourbon Street, uh, Mardi Gras. I think um, we wanted it to feel like a hometown. Uh, we wanted to honor the kind of particular textures and specificity of its um, cultural heritage, its multi-layeredness, um, but at the same time, to her, <laughs> um, you know, it's not a particularly vibrant place. We wanted to honor its private spaces, um, the environments that belong to the true residents, so that, um, you know, it both would, there would be meaningful recognition for true residents, but that also there could be um, universal entry um, for those who are not from there. Mm. I, th I think that's a lovely way of describing it. Because I, what I loved about it was it wasn't New, New Orleans, really, that it was the behind the scenes roads of Ordinaryville that, mm. could, as you say, relate to anyone. And I was I thought that the characterization of the, the two houses, Jen, Jen's house or her, Lindsay's house and James's house were really interesting. Mm. And the way that James's house felt very lonely because it was rather too large for him, you know, and he was, it, it felt like a family house gone wrong. Whereas the other house felt like a chaotic house. So can you describe the, the characters in both of those places? How did sure. you come to find those? Again, I, um, I just want to credit Jack as much as possible. He, um, I, I also think, um, you know, uh, we worked with um, an incredible location scout, um, a guy named Elston Howard, who I call the mayor of New Orleans. Um, and um, I think Jack also has the courage and the wisdom to respond to um, what's there on the ground. And of course he curated those environments within an inch of their lives. But, you know, I remember visiting, um, I remember visiting that house, the house that would become Lindsay and her mom's house. And I think I said something offhand, like I was thinking about how we would block a scene in the living room. And I remember saying offhand, like, well, that isn't quite how I imagined it. But and in some tremendously sensitive but piercing and astute way that I wish I could quote verbatim. But now it's over three years ago. Jack essentially said, it might not matter how you imagined it. <laughs> look at what's possible here. And of course, what he was looking at was everything that was possible in the environment we were in. And I think, again, it was there was something much more deft and particular about the way he managed to frame that clear, undeniable opportunity. But I think, um, uh, you know, the, in every aspect of the filmmaking process, much like in the theater, I felt continuously reminded that while um, one must come in intensely prepared, um, harnessed with a, a very particular idea of what you hope to achieve, what you hope to imagine, how you want to imagine it, to be myopic about the value of what's actually transpiring in front of you, <laughs> what is being unlocked 
actually in real time is to miss so many opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, yeah, I think um, Jack has such an extraordinary balance of um, making tremendous use of what's available and pouring into it such dense, creative, invigorated, imaginative life um, in in beautiful balance. Mm. Well, it really comes across so so strongly and so deftly. It's, It's very, very beautiful. Um, in your, when you look back on this film, what, and this is a horrible question to ask, and I, um, can't wait. What, what are you most proud of? What are oh, you God. most proud of of your film? That is a horrible question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 please. Oh, what am I most proud of? The, a couple of things. You don't have to be one thing. As a director, as a director, because you're very generous. You've spoken about everybody else, but you, about, you know, about what you've done. Oh. That's very gracious of you. I think the first thing, um, (laughs) uh, I'm proud that we stuck it out. That's quite simple. There were a lot of opportunities for people to cut bait on this project. And it took a lot of will Mm. to continue. (laughs) So um, I think I'm I'm proud of that on behalf of everyone involved. I think I'm I'm proud of um, the quiet in the film mm-hmm. is patience. Um, I think there's room for the viewer in the film. And I think there were moments in which I wondered if a film that is so patiently paced could function in a contemporary context. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think I feel proud of the film's patience. Um, and I think I feel proud of, um, the creative problem solving (laughs) that was involved in, um, every single aspect of this journey. Mm. I think, well, that's a brilliant answer, Lina. I I found, I found it, going back to the emotion of it, I did find myself moved to tears a few times and that's partly because of the restraint of the two key performances, but also because you gave those performances such space. So the audience is really invited in and you feel like you're sitting with them chatting. And that's hard to pull off because you could be distracted or whatever, but you just the, the quietness and the stillness added to the emotional heft for me. I'm again, just so glad to hear it. Um, (laughs) Hi again. Um, uh, uh, You know, the film is, um, it's paced within an inch of its life, within a millimeter of its life. Um, And so that um, how silence works in the film from an editorial perspective, it's it's pretty meticulous. Mm, it's, um, it's very, my, very effective. Mm. I'm just so glad you think so. And you know, my hope is that by exerting that much control in a very particular kind of proportionality, my hope is that we've likewise created an environment in which you're not thinking about it. Mm, absolutely. Um, that it that it really is just um giving you the right amount of space to metabolize the character's emotions Mm. and even have some room simultaneously to sit with yourself 
um, in a way that I hope is um, additive, illuminating. Absolutely. Um, we have a, two, a couple of minutes left for our conversation. And um, before we say goodbye, I just want to say thank you so much, Lila, for oh, you've been incredibly such open and generous. Thoughts and questions and your generosity. Sorry oh. to cut you off while I'm calling you generous. <laughs> Just we, I, I'm sure everybody in the audience is dying to know what you're doing now. Oh, what are you up to at the moment in the last couple um, of minutes? Uh, well, then the next thing I will probably be in production for is a play here in New York. Um, but I am, um, I am right now at this exact interval in a in a development focus space. I'm developing. Um, I'm in very early stage on developing another feature and a couple of TV projects. I create work with a company um, in my life in the theater. We co-author plays, and we are. Um, uh, right now developing a couple of projects in the TV space. Um, but yeah, the next thing I'll be in production for is it looks like a play. Oh, well, fantastic. Well, really, really good luck with that, Lina. And, and congratulations again on a beautiful film. And I hope the audience spread the word to all their friends to watch it because it really is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear more episodes of the Directors UK podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favourite podcatcher. Directors UK is a professional association for film and TV directors with over 7,500 members. Find out more about us at directors.uk.com.